Thank you, Amanda. What a great song, how firm a foundation. Jacob, let's get that song in our rotation. We need to sing how firm a foundation. How many of you glad we have a firm foundation based on the Word of God, Bible doctrine? It's wonderful. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Thank you for praying for the meeting over in Grove City. We had a great time. That church, Mike Purden is the pastor there, and he's just doing a tremendous job. So we had a wonderful time. I appreciate a couple of our guys coming over and helping with uh, the exhibit, Ed Bermond and Jim McDermott, and it was a it was a blessing to have their help. And then we have a team that's been helping me load the trailer and unload the trailer, and all you guys who came and did that this morning, thank you. I know it's a Tough thing to get in here that early on a Sunday morning to do that, but I really appreciate the labor that goes into that. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. So this is continuing after the stoning, the murder of Stephen. Chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Lord, help us to learn from this sobering account. Father, there's so much to learn just from these few verses Lord, will you please help us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Look at that first sentence. And Saul was consenting unto his death. If we go back to chapter 7, verse 54, and when they heard these things, Stephen had preached Jesus Christ to them out of the Old Testament. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. One thing that happens, and you may experience it today, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you, pierces your heart, you have two options, repentance or rage. Repentance or rage. You can repent, you can get your life right, get yourself aligned with God and God's word, or you can get angry at the preacher, angry at the message, angry at Christianity. Those are the options. And so they gnashed on him with their teeth. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They were united in their hatred of him and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And we know Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, but here we're going to learn some things about Saul this morning. And they stoned Stephen. What was Stephen doing? Calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How many of you think maybe Stephen had a different spiritual walk than you do? I know this. If they pulled me outside of a city and they were trying to stone me, I would be fighting like you have never seen. 
I'd, I'd look like that, that, that old character, Yosemite Sam, and he's running around, and I'll kill those varmints. And that, I, I can't imagine having Tasmanian devil. That's who I was trying to think of. That wasn't Yosemite Sam. Hey, I'm old. Give me a break, okay? I can't imagine that after preaching to them, after seeing their reaction, while they're killing him, he's praying for them. He's praying for them. Do you know the difference between Stephen and me? Stephen was walking in the Spirit. If I ever had to experience something like that, I hope that I could die to self and yield myself to the grace of God in that moment of death in representing Christ. But we're going to see that when persecution happens, my message today is called Great Persecution. Chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And so what is happening here is Saul, who was one of the Pharisees, Saul would have been one of the Pharisees that met with Stephen. Drop back to chapter 6, verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So they began to make accusations against him. But there's a good chance that Paul was there and heard that when he was still being called Saul. It's a good chance that he had heard that dispute. He certainly heard the chapter 7. There's no doubt that he heard the chapter 7. And he was there. And I want you to see the first thing it says about Saul, chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. What does that mean? Consenting unto his death. We think of the, the accounts of the the gladiators fighting in the Colosseum. And when one was losing and they'd look up at the emperor and the emperor could save his life or the emperor could kill him. Do you know what Saul was doing to Stephen? Kill him. Kill him. He wasn't just there as an observer. He was there as a leader. And he was there consenting. Unto his death. Arno Gabeline, you know, you, you all get used to me. You'll, the, my names of people that helped me through this, John Phillips and, and Arno Gabeline. But listen to what Gabeline said. The first sentence with which this chapter starts belongs to the preceding chapter. It finishes that story. The young Pharisee who takes the prominent place in this book, listen, was in perfect agreement with the awful deed committed. He rejoiced. The death of Stephen was with his fullest approval. He took pleasure in it. He was an eyewitness to the entire suffering of Stephen from the moment the dispute took place to the time when the stones fell upon him outside of the city and his blood was shed. See, this is part of it that I don't know that that we really think about. The Apostle Paul, before he became an apostle, before he became a believer, was a murderer. And a blasphemer. That's what he calls himself. He did not see this as murder. Why? Because religion had blinded his eyes. 
How many of you know people that are blinded by religion? Blinded by religion. That one, of the, one of the great tools that the enemies of Christ use is what has been done in the name of religion. If we think about the Crusades, you know, I've told you about the, the invasion of Bezirs during the Albigensian Crusades. I think it was around 1213, where Dominic, have you heard of the Dominican friars? Well, the father of that was a guy that they call St. Dominic. Dominic was the father of the Inquisition. He founded the Inquisition. So what Dominic would do is he would go and find heretics. Who were the heretics at Beziers in France? Who were they? They were Albigensians. Who were the Albigensians? These were people who believed in salvation by grace through faith alone. These were people who believed in believer's baptism, that you had to be born again before you could be baptized. What does it mean to be born again? It means you realize that you're a sinner and that the penalty for sin is death and hell. And it's not that some people get to go to heaven and some people get to go to hell. No, the only everyone will go to hell unless you're born again. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We must acknowledge that sin and realize there's only one way. You can pay for your sin. There's two ways to pay for your sin. You can pay for it or you can let Jesus Christ pay for it. Jesus Christ already made the payment. You don't have to wait for him to make the payment. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, please, I accept that payment. Please apply that payment to my account. Forgive my sin. Pay for my sin. Wash my sin away with your blood. And then, when you're born again, after you're born again, that's when you follow the Lord in baptism, because baptism is a picture of that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony that you have been born again. It's telling the whole church and anyone we can get to come see it, I am going to follow Jesus Christ with the rest of my life. That's what baptism is. Baptism is not a part of your salvation. It's not for babies. Babies can't make the choice to be baptized. I saw during COVID that some priest, because could, he couldn't get close to the babies, was sprinkling them with a squirt gun. How many of you saw those pictures? That's not baptism. That's just a wet baby. Although, come on. How many of you think it'd be kind of fun to squirt a baby with a squirt gun? That'd be pretty cool. I'm, I'm for it. But it doesn't have anything to do with baptism. And so these Albigenses, that's what they believed. They also believed that the government doesn't have anything to do with what the church teaches. And so, they had to be killed. So Dominic came and preached the, the Inquisition, preached the heresy sermon. And then there was a knight, his name was Simon de Montfort. He had his troops, and they came. They had about 300,000 troops. And they had knights, and then the peasants, because they were told on the Inquisition, any sin that you commit is forgiven. Any sin. The Catholic Church, the Pope said, any sin that you commit on crusade is forgiven. And so they said, we might not be able to destroy the knights of Languedoc, that was the area where Bezirs was. We might not be able to destroy their knights, but we might be able to kill a few women and children. That's the blind hatred of religion. And so, 
They came, surrounded Bezirs. The, the soldiers of Bezirs thought, you know what, let's take them by surprise. They rode out, they got into the middle, and they saw how many. They couldn't believe there were hundreds of thousands of them. They turned around and fled back into the walls of the city, and yet uh, Simone de Montfort's troops were able to follow them inside the walls of the city. And they captured the city without killing anybody. There were 60,000 people within those walls. There was a pope's representative, the papal legate. And so, de Montfort, he asked the pope's representative, he said, what do we do? Kill them all. The Lord will know those who are his own. So they killed Catholics. They killed Albigensians. They killed everyone. That's the kind of event in history that causes the world to say, if that's religion, I don't want anything to do with religion. The Muslim terrorists that kill people in the name of Allah. And by the way, Allah is not God. There are, I can't remember, 150 different titles for Allah. Many of them are the same name as Lucifer. The God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. And yet, they genuinely believe that if they kill people in God's name, they think they're doing God's work. What did Jesus say? They'll kill you and think they're doing the Lord's work. You say, Pastor, are you anti-Catholic? Are you anti-Muslim? I am anti-killing people in the name of God. If it was a Baptist doing it, when that uh, Westboro Baptist Church goes to soldiers' funerals and holds up offensive signs and just make fools of themselves, I'm happy to speak against those Baptists. Do they represent us? No, no. It is amazing what people do in the name of religion. Listen to what Paul said. Well, can we look at it? Keep your place here in, in Acts. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is the same one consenting unto Stephen's death, by the way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest, look at what it says, charge some, that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now look at how he is supposed to do it. Verse 5. Now the end of the commandment, the end of what you're teaching, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, empty noise, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, 
But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And he goes on to, dis- to discuss things. But he's telling Timothy, yes, you need to charge them. Make sure they know that they're not supposed to teach any other doctrine than the doctrine of the New Testament, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Word of God. But if the end of what you're teaching isn't charity, what's charity? It's not giving your stuff to feed the poor. Charity is giving yourself. See, there's a big difference between me giving my life to you and me taking yours. See, me investing in you, being a servant, that's the biblical model. That's, we, we influence people by serving them. We reach people by loving them. You know, the old adage, that they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And yet, some people want to just bay at the moon. They, they, they get so eaten up with social media and with what's going on in the news. They're just angry all the time. And what happens is their right doctrine becomes vain jangling. It's just noise. In Saul's case, go back to Acts chapter 8, it was much worse than that. Saul was blinded with this religious zeal. Blinded by religious fervor. John Phillips said, religion without the Holy Spirit is the cruelest force in the world. So think about the people. If you go back to the Salem witch trials, we've talked about Muslims and we've talked about Catholics and we've talked about Baptists. Let's bring the Anglicans in. So in Salem, you had a church, Salem, Massachusetts, they had a church state, marriage, And so these women that would practice divination or other things, they were accused of being witches. And the way that they would test whether or not this person was a witch was they would drown them. They'd they'd put them underwater, and a witch could live underwater. And if they died, they must not have been a witch. What kind of religion does that? Now, how many of you know that witchcraft is wrong? Amen? We are not for witchcraft. I've often said we should buy the children. Laura probably knew I was going to do this. We should buy the children, your children, for Christmas as a church. Let's get them Ouija boards. How many think that's a bad idea? We might as well. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You're teaching them rebellion. We might as well teach them witchcraft. Do your children obey? The first time? Sit down. I don't want to. If I have to tell you one more time, sit down. I don't want to. I can't do anything with them. If that's you as a parent, let's get them a Ouija board. How many of you think this sermon just went way off the rails? <laughs> Religion without the Holy Spirit buys your kids Ouija boards. <laughs> can, can I just stop right there for a minute? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about on that? I get embarrassed watching some of your kids 
And then you guys get embarrassed because you see me, and then you discipline the kids because you're in front of me, and then the kids hate the preacher. Just discipline your kids. And I promise you, if you do it well when they're little, you don't have to do it as much when they're old. I haven't beaten Jacob in weeks. (laughs) This whole concept of Saul consenting unto Stephen's death, It was more than just being there. He was a leader in it. Again, John Phillips. I read this a minute ago. I want to read it and and then continue. Religion without the Holy Spirit is the cruelest force in the world. It bears the imprimatur of its father, the devil, the old serpent, he who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And what this, this death of Stephen did it appears, remember that in chapter 6, they didn't, they didn't abuse the disciples as much as they would because they were afraid of the people. Remember that? Well, when they killed Stephen, they got away with it. And that murder of Stephen caused them to become even more violent against the church. And please, how is it that religious people kill people for preaching the gospel and then down through the years, beginning around 300 A.D., Christians begin killing other Christians? What does that? Do you have a faith that wants to kill people? Lord willing, next week I'm going to try. I don't. It, it, I, I want to talk about Iran in Bible prophecy because of what's going on in the Middle East right now. I want to spend some time with you on that. But there are Christians. I guarantee you, there are Baptist preachers who will stand up in churches today and say something like, "We ought to just go bomb all those ragheads. We ought to just turn that into a sea of glass." How many of you heard somebody say something like that? I was talking with Brother Fagali, Edgar Fagali, this week. He's heading back over there. So what we'd have to do is we'd have to go over and kill our brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching the gospel and suffering over there right now. They they have Brother Fagali has a radio station that has more more than what was the number that he said? A hundred thousand people that have written in from Iran who are learning the Bible through Brother Fagali's instrumentation, through his ministry. Do we want to go kill those people? Who wants to go kill them? Is their government evil? Absolutely. Do nations sometimes have to pay, suffer a price because of their evil leaders? Absolutely. Where are we in that? And the thing that I want us to get, we can't be warmongering Christians. Are Christians supposed to love peace? We're not pacifists. Just for the fun of it. How many of you are armed right now? Would you raise your hand? Look around. We're not pacifists. Just try us. You'll find out. We'll send you to Jesus. We're not pacifists, but we're not warmongers either. We love peace. We love people. We can't have a religion that glorifies murder. 
I'm not anti-military. I'm very thankful for our guys from our church who serve in the military. But Lord willing, they never have to follow an order that causes them to kill a brother in Christ. This death of Stephen signaled a fierce outbreak of persecution against the Jerusalem church. So let's go back to our text, Acts 8 and verse 1. Um, I, I do want to do that. Expository preaching, where you preach through a text of the Bible. It's not just reading a portion and making a comment. Read a portion and make a comment. What God does is God gives us biblical truth. These passages are just full of truth. That, that, and if we'll allow that truth, it, it will pervade every area of our life. Our politics, our child rearing, our attitudes. You know, my attitude if they wanted to try and kill me, right? That's where we started. A passage like this and the truth that's in it, the results of it, what, what spirit-filled people did, that should influence our thinking. We don't just need to know what they did and how they thought. We need to know what are we to do and how are we to think. We, not, we want to be not just hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. Amen? That's the purpose of the application. So we're back in Acts chapter 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. So where was the church? It was at Jerusalem, and they were comfortable in Jerusalem. They had a lot of people there with them in Jerusalem. And so that's where the persecution was centered. I do want to make a comment. There, there's a small group of people. We had a little trouble in our church several years ago of people who believe that um, only the church epistles are for our church and that the church began with the apostle Paul. Well, if the church began with Paul, who was he persecuting? Amen? Okay. Some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, and I'm very glad. Those of you who do, just think about that. All right. So, the Holy Spirit describes this outbreak of persecution as a great persecution. No details are given except the note that it resulted in the scattering of the believers throughout Judea and Samaria. And, and, and what's what I love, well, let me say this first. How much persecution would it take for us to actually leave the city? For us to leave here? So th their persecution could start in, in the Western world. The way persecution is starting is um, eventually you won't be able to, to share your faith at work. You won't be able to say what you believe. You won't be able to serve in the military if you believe what we believe. How many of you know that DEI stuff is already happening? Right? They're going to try to control these institutions of power. You won't be able to teach in a school if you have a particular belief system. And even now, if you have a particular belief system and then you try to express it, it can cause you trouble even in our community. Right? So that's how they begin controlling it. But then the, the squeeze just happens a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I'm just telling you, if they move to a digital currency, 
They already, through, through COVID, they've already tried to get us to move everything online, do all your purchasing online, do your grocery shopping online. Well, they can control everything. What if they control the food you can buy because it's digital currency, and if you don't have a particular social credit score, you can't buy food? You know, that's what happens in China now. That happens in China. And that's what people want to bring here. There are people that want to regulate the Internet. You have to have a driver's license. This is what Barack Obama wanted to do. You had to have a driver's license to get on the Internet. How many of you know there's bad stuff on the Internet? See, they always use, don't ever let an an emergency go to waste. And so then, if you want to listen to sermons, got to watch that guy. Got to watch that guy. What did the FBI do? The FBI, the Richmond Field Office, just this past year, they said anyone who is a Catholic pro-life person, that's those are people that we have to watch. They're right-wing extremists, and we're going to send people into their churches to watch them. That's in the United States of America. That's the FBI right now. That's that evil organization, the FBI. Just so you know, FBI is an evil organization. Really important that we get this as Christians. As Christians, that noose is going to keep tightening, and it's going to keep tightening, and it's going to keep tightening. And we as Christians have to decide, how are we going to respond to this? I know. Let's go to Wyoming and build a compound, and we'll call us the Sons of Liberty, and we'll kill anybody that tries to come in. Is that biblical? No. Amen? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to pray for our government. How many of you prayed last night at 7 o'clock? We're going to pray for our government. We're going to vote. We're going to hold. I was just this past Tuesday, I went over to Columbus to meet with um, a guy that's running for Senate, United States Senate. We're trying to get, uh, who's the guy out of uh, Cleveland? What's his name? Yeah, Sherrod Brown. We're trying to get Sherrod Brown out. Um, This guy... You can't know until they get in. He seems to be a, a good guy. Marino, I think his name is. We, we care about our government, and we interact with government. But we have no guarantee that this government will keep supporting, keep endorsing our ability to worship freely. What would it take for us not to be here? What would it take for you to stop coming to church? What would it take for you to stop gathering together with God's people? There was a great persecution against the church, and they were scattered. Wouldn't it be awful if people were coming in here to kill us? Now, again, we live in a different system. We have the Second Amendment, which allows us to to protect ourselves from that kind of invasion. Amen? We don't have to just lay down and die for those people. We don't have to do that, not in our system. But if ultimately our system falls, another system takes its place, we might have to be scattered. But what would persecution cause you to do? You might have to leave to save your family, to protect your family. You might have to do that. But notice what they did. Verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look what it says in verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere collecting guns. What did they do? They went everywhere. How many of you, when someone mocks you for your faith, your desire is to preach the word? That's tough. Not defend yourself. Preach the word. See, this is the way that God spread the gospel. That church was comfortable there in Jerusalem. They had all their people. They had all the apostles there in Jerusalem, and the apostles stayed there. We're going to look at that here in a second, but the apostles, they they were scattered except the, the apostles. They stayed there in Jerusalem, and yet everywhere they went, they they preached the gospel. I know I've told you this story, some of you have heard it, of uh, the Battle of Alamance County. I think it was 1771. This is before. This is considered the first battle of the Revolutionary War. There was a an Anglican, Episcopal uh, Anglican leader. His name was uh, Lord Tryon. You can still go to Tryon, North Carolina now. It's named after him. And there was an act. It was a British act. It's called the Act of Uniformity. And it was passed under uh, Henry VIII, and then it was reaffirmed under Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth. And what that said was if a marriage is performed by anyone other than someone approved by the Church of England, then those people are not married. And, of course, you could go to prison for living in adultery in the colonies, in the colonies of North Carolina, in the colonies of Virginia. And so there in North Carolina, Tryon, they were persecuting the Baptists and the Quakers. So they, they would find them. They would tax them over and above the regular taxes. They made it legal. Remember, if you had a milk cow, you were a wealthy person. He said, you're allowed to go and take the Baptist milk cow. So these people are starving. So a group of them gathered together there in Alamance County. They gathered together in a field. It was Quakers and it was Baptists. And they were kind of having a picnic. And Tryon's troops came and fired on them. They fired back. It was a very short battle because you had a standing army against just some farmers. And so they were routed and they were driven out. There was a church there. It's called the Sandy Creek Baptist Church, pastored by a guy named Shubel Stearns. Shubel Stearns had been saved under the preaching of George Whitfield. George Whitfield preached, you must be born again. And he had to preach in fields to thousands of people because they wouldn't allow him to preach in the churches. He was an Anglican priest, but because he preached, you must be born again, they wouldn't let him preach in the Anglican churches. And so Shubal Stearns heard him preach. He was born again, praise the Lord. But then he was trained by a a couple of Baptist pastors, a guy named Noah Alden and another pastor named Wade Palmer. Wade Palmer ordained him in Tallinn, Connecticut. He heard, he went to Virginia where his brother-in-law was a pastor, a guy named Abraham Marshall or Daniel Marshall. And 
He heard while he was in Virginia that there were people in North Carolina riding 40 miles each direction, riding a horse 40 miles each direction to go to church. What would it take for you to stop going to church? And so he went and he started a church called the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Within just a few years, they had 600 people in this little area of North Carolina. Shortly after that, they had 900 members. Well, there was a pastor of a church nearby, a deacon in that church. This, this church had been started by John Ganot. John Ganot was George Washington's chaplain in the Revolutionary War, and you all know about John Ganot. He had started this church in North Carolina, and there was a man named Benjamin Merrill that was one of his deacons. Well, Daniel Merrill, um, Benjamin Merrill was one of the men that helped the regulators fighting against Lord Tryon. So they arrested a bunch of them, and they took Benjamin Merrill, and they, he was hung, drawn, and quartered. What does that mean? They started strangling him. They cut him open. They pulled out his entrails while he was still alive and set them on fire with his children right here to see it. That was Lord Tryon. The first place they went after the Battle of Alamance County, he took his troops and they camped on the grounds, on the property of the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. The next year, the membership in the records of that church, they had 900 members. The next year, they had 27 members. But you know what they did? They went everywhere preaching the gospel. How many of you have heard of the Bible Belt? Right? There are more than 5,000 churches that were started by those 900 people and their descendants who spread out because of that persecution. See, this is not only something that's effective in the early church. This is not only something that's effective in the early part of our country. This is something that's effective. Remember Tertullian? His, he was a, a, a church writer. He was a Montanist. He was living in the time of Diocletian, the horrible emperor that would persecute people. And he wrote, this, it's, it, this isn't the exact quote. It's been changed to this that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He said, all of, your, all of your vicious and devious engineering, all it does is cause the church to spread. It causes the church to grow. When great persecution comes, do we quit or do we go everywhere preaching the gospel? But here's our question. You can only do that if you're not ashamed of the gospel. So the question is, if we're not doing it now in peace, if we're not doing it now in freedom and liberty, what makes us think we'll do it later under persecution? Amen? It's amazing what this persecution did. And then I want you to see this one other thing before we're done. Look what it says in verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Wow. Great lamentation. Why would they make great lamentation? Because where, even among the apostles, could be found so able a fighter, so eloquent an expositor, so fearless a presenter of the truth, 
There was a huge difference between Stephen's sermon and Peter's sermon. Can I just tell you something? Stephen's was better. So they made great lamentation over Stephen. John Phillips said there can be little doubt that had he lived, Stephen would have done the work later done by Paul. If God had allowed him to live, there's a good chance he would have gone and started churches all over the region. And yet, he was killed. The devout men of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem church, they buried Stephen. As for Saul, what did Saul keep doing? So verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. What is it to make havoc? That's like a wild animal tearing it apart. He went in. Notice what it says. It says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into, what are those next two words? Every house. Every house. Saul went mad. He tells us later in his apostles that he made havoc of the church. But what did he do? He entered every house where a believer lived. There was hardly a home where his cruelty was not felt. The prisons overflowed. In later years, we find Paul, wherever the gospel travels took him, this is so amazing, zealously taking up collections for poor saints, which are at Jerusalem. How many of you know he would do that? I guess something that I hadn't thought of. You know why he wanted to do that? He had made them poor. How many of those homes are poor because he killed the father? How many of those people are poor because he destroyed their home? That's what Paul did. Wow. Wow. Stephen's preaching turned the corner on the kind of biblical preaching and exposition And that's the kind of preaching and exposition that the Apostle Paul did. And I wonder, of course, Jesus taught him, the Holy Spirit filled him. But I I wonder if when he preached, he thought back to Stephen. Wow. So, this great diaspora, this great scattering began. Far from being intimidated by the persecution, the believers now scattering far and wide went everywhere preaching the word. So listen to what Phillips said. Prudence might advise them to be scattered, but nothing could advise them to be silent. What had the apostles said? We can't help but to preach and teach those things that we've seen. Amen. So let's finish with this. Here's our conclusion. Persecution and suffering are part of the Christian experience. Persecution and suffering are part of the Christian experience. The result should be the spread of the gospel. Now, I don't, you know, when I was a kid, I experienced some persecution. I was a preacher's kid. Dad was starting a church. We were in the public school and, you know, got into fights all the time. And they, they called me Revy Altar and Deacon Altar and all of those things. And I was a little kid. I said, I got into a lot of fights. I got beat up a lot. Um, that explains this, right? You know, I know I have this personality. But, um, so, you know, some mild persecution, but um, that's why it was Ethan knew we were talking about that. I just punch him in the face. If I was his size, I would have beat those guys up. I wish I could have. I'm such a great spiritual pastor. 
Um, how dumb would you have to be to pick on Ethan? I think that's hilarious. But anyway, I've never really experienced persecution, but I've had suffering. My sister passing away just a couple of weeks ago, 52 years old, car accident, just horrible. Think about Annette, her dad, going home to be with the Lord yesterday. Matt, uh, uh, Jody's brother. These, these things that all of us are, are dealing with, Becky's husband. People suffer. And I miss it. We've had so many people lose people recently. I know there's others. If I looked around the room, I would see more of you who have suffered loss. That's suffering, isn't it? That's suffering. I think of my brother-in-law preaching. He preached his first sermon Sunday before last. Can you imagine trying to preach for the first time with his wife in heaven? And he pastors a church. Suffering and persecution are part of the Christian experience. Why? Because they're part of the world's experience. And we're supposed to represent Christ in the world. So what should that suffering do? The loss of my sister should cause me to be a better evangelist. Why? Because death is real. There are other things I want to talk about. I, I, I want, since I know what it's like to lose my sister now, I want some of you all to take care of your health better so that your family doesn't have to experience that sooner than you should. And of course, Linda's was a car accident. It wasn't a health thing. But does that make sense? You know, I, I mentioned the news. I, Wade, I don't want you to die. Brent, I don't want you to have to experience what it's like losing Wade. I don't want you guys to experience that. Ty, I don't want you to lose Jet or Kent, you know, or Brent. I don't want you guys to experience that until it's the Lord's time, right? So let's take care of ourselves. Let's take care. Let's be good stewards of what God gives. You see, suffering should change us. Do you follow what I'm saying here? When when my mom and dad passed away, they, they were they were older. They had had all the illnesses that come along with it. Dad was diabetic, just like me. And I'd go to his house, and there'd be a stack of Hershey bars on his. He didn't care about diabetes, so he went home to be with the Lord sooner than he would have. Hilarious. Suffering should change us. Amen. It should change us. In what way, though? Suffering shouldn't make us gun-shy. Suffering shouldn't make us timid. Suffering should make us bold for the Lord. Because Linda's face-to-face with the Lord right now. She's seeing her Savior. And yet there are other people that are suffering loss that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So, Suffering and persecution are a part of the Christian experience, and what it ought to do for us as believers is make us better witnesses. Secondly, in conclusion, Paul's past should free me from mine. So, for me, do I have guilt when I look back at my past? Of course. I didn't kill people. I didn't kill one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church. 
Can you imagine every time Paul went to take up an offering for those poor saints? In the back of his mind, you did this. You did this. You did this. So if God can use Paul, and listen to what Paul wrote, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul's past should free me from mine. For the believer, think about this. For the believer, guilt is the sin of unbelief. How many believe God has forgiven you? Guilt is the sin of unbelief. Guilt brings you to Christ for salvation, forgiveness, and newness. He makes all things new. Does he make all things new? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Guilt brings you to Christ for forgiveness and newness and salvation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Guilt is from the enemy. You might be saying, I, I know I'm supposed to serve God, but you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. How many of you think God knows your past? God knew your past before you had a past. And he still saved you. And if you're here and you're not born again, he wants to save you. If you are not born again, you are still under the guilt of your past. Those guilt feelings are real. It's condemnation. You can believe and be saved, but if you don't believe, the Bible says you're condemned already. You're not waiting for condemnation. Man, I'm so glad that I'm free, that, I, that God has saved me, that even though I still stumble, I still fall, I still sin, my sin has been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and I stand before Christ as one of his. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. Amen? The rest of us, suffering and persecution are part of the Christian experience. It should lead us to be better evangelists. Paul's past should free me from mine and should free you from yours so that we're free to serve God. Did God use Paul? Yeah. Let's all stand together. Lord, what an honor it is to be able to study your word together with other people that love you.